This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne, and this is Safe Space, a show devoted to subjects that are hard to talk about because they make us feel afraid, vulnerable, or ashamed. Tonight is is part of a series on the fear of failure. My guest is Sinead Rush, and we're talking about performance anxiety and the fear of failure. Sinead Rush is a theater director and performer based in London, England. For the past seven years, she's been creating her own work, her own productions with her own company called Out of Ink. Her works are experimental. They're created from ideas or from literature, often from improvisation. Sinead is the ideal person to be talking about the fear of failure with performance anxiety because her work is highly experimental, highly creative, and really an expression of herself. So she's putting a lot out there on the line. Sinead's career in performance began very early at the age of five as a competitive Irish dancer. She became an all-Ireland champion Irish dancer at the age of seven. Welcome to Safe Space, Sinead. <laughs> Thank you. It's great to have you. I want to start by asking you, when you were so young, did you have performance anxiety and what was that like for you? Actually, I never had performance anxiety until about the age of 15. So in the early years of dancing and learning, my teacher and in my class, I loved dancing so much and it was something that came so easily and with such joy that um, I never thought about it ever. Um, It was just an absolute pleasure and I would look forward to the classes and and part of learning Irish dance was doing these competitions and... um, and I always aimed to win the competitions, but I never really thought about the winning until I was about 15. And then suddenly I began to have an awareness of what it was to potentially not win. Or um, Had you never lost until then? For a long time, I never lost any championship or any even one solo dance. Um, uh-huh. And... Um, Yes, you had a and, charmed and life. <laughs> I had a charmed life. It ended when I was 15. But <laughs> So then what was it? What happened at 15? Um, I can't remember so well, but I remember coming third in a, in a major championship and, and feeling shocked and um, afraid. And also I remember a, a period of time where I began to just worry I began to worry about performing and um, I began to worry about not winning the competition I began to just be aware of myself performing and and I remember in training for a major competition I remember the sense of that I wasn't on form that somehow I, I couldn't I wasn't dancing in that free and pleasurable way that I always had up to then and in a way, I had no tools to really cope with that. And it, it kind of manifested itself in a kind of battle with my, with my dance teacher, who, who I loved um, in many ways. And she was so invested in me. And, uh, um, but I, I, I began to really worry. And, and it was a perpetuating circle where I, I um, realized that I wasn't dancing so well. And then I would worry about that. And, and, and then I would come to the competition and worry and... and and not win and and of course I was in this place where um it wasn't a situation where getting third or or fifth in the major championship um was still okay it for me it that was a disaster it was it was there was the number one spot was the spot to get right and it had always been your spot it had always been my spot yeah so I can imagine almost the panic of being aware I am not on top of my game here I can feel it 
That's right. And this horrible vicious cycle of the more you feel it, the more anxious you get, and the more anxious you get, the, the letter, you're unable to get back into your game. That's right. And I remember my, my teacher, Sheila Nolan, who, who was a remarkable teacher. Um, I remember her at one point saying, um, it's in your mind. And um, and the champion mentality is it's a mentality and um, and and I remember I remember her saying that and being struck by it and full of fear and desire to overcome it and and not being able to and the sense of in these competitions also knowing that I had a kind of a public face that yes. there was a sense of oh the 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 people in the in the auditorium would would think oh she's not she's not quite on form she's oh she didn't quite win that that particular dance and 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 feeling that that pressure and yes i mean i can imagine there were people who had been competitive with you the other dancers from your town and <laughs> larger and larger in ireland who you know i'm sure you had a reputation who might even have taken pleasure and seeing your downfall, you know, finally we have mm. a chance, someone else has a chance to win. Mm. Were you aware of that and did that kind of add to it? I was certainly not aware of any maliciousness or anything mm. like that, but I was aware myself of not, yes, of people witnessing me off form. Yes. Um, and, and feeling, yeah, feeling that that was a huge burden. And I remember in one particular competition, a very unimportant competition, um, but I remember stopping, <laughs> um, stopping, or had a little slip up, and um, and coming off the stage, um, crying about it, and um, because it had never really happened before, and um, and feel feeling the the eyes of the of the room, <laughs> and I think those eyes were mostly kind eyes, uh, eyes that wished me well, and and thought, oh, that's a shame. But the experience from inside is different. Yes, I mean, <laughs> what you're describing in a way feels like exposure, mm. kind of shame, the shame of feeling seen in that moment. Yeah. How wonderful that your assumption is that they were kind eyes. That does feel, it would be so different if you were imagining that they were looking at you with triumph or pleasure. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So so there you are, you, you're 15, you have this first experience of not being first. Your teacher's telling you that there's this championship mentality you're trying to overcome it. Did you come? Did you get back on your game? Did you leave dance? What happened after that? Well, I left dance um, slightly not on top of my game, but I left it in a in a very good way. I mean, competitive dance. I still danced beyond that and, and still work a little bit in Irish dance, but in a very informal, um, away from in an informal way and away from the Irish dance world. But but. Actually, I had a very good experience at the end because when I went to university, I, it, I I went to Dublin and that was away from my small town in Northern Ireland where I was learning. And they, my, and for for a while, I just didn't show up at my dance classes and I didn't really um, tell my dance teacher. And and I think there was an expectation from her that I would keep coming back every week for my dance class. And even though I was in Dublin and away and it was a far far away um, and there was she did have this expectation but I didn't come and then finally I, I decided I would go about a month before the major championship um, which is the All-Ireland Dance Championships and I said I showed up about a month before they were due and I hadn't danced and I hadn't done any training and she said to me well, are you going to dance? What's happening? And um, and in that moment, I said, I just made a split decision and said, yes, um, I'm going to take part. And I and I, 
and I basically trained myself. I wasn't at the class as much, and I went away and um, and trained. and And she hadn't really seen me, and I <laughs> and I came back and showed up for the for the championships. And she she had a look at one of the dances, one of the main dances I was going to do, just in the practice hall before the championship. And I danced something for her, and she at the end of it she said. I haven't seen you dance so well in years, and and that I and that's how I danced, and I, I I and that championship I got fifth. I didn't win. I was far from winning, but um, I had a very positive experience of finding again that kind of flight and the joy of really moving in that way, dancing in that way, and feeling free, and that was great. It seems both are so important in a way. You connected to that joy that freedom that was so precious to you but also that your that this teacher recognized it mm. she could see it yes and that's right and there was a, there was a there was something about us coming to an end together even though i wasn't i wasn't winning the championship but there was a sense of she'd she'd um seen the old me in, yeah. in dancing in that way and and that was very important because that was the thing that I was identified with. Yeah, like you reclaimed yourself. Mm. This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne. This is Safe Space, and I'm talking to Sinead Rush about the fear of failure, in particular how it ties into performance anxiety. And I want to ask you now as an adult, you know, I know you you create these very original experimental theater works, and I wonder, have you had, what's been your experience with the fear of failure with performance anxiety as, a, as an adult? <laughs> Well, I think there's one very specific example I can give that might be interesting to talk about. Um, about five years ago, I made a show called An Evening with Sinead Rush, um, a solo show, and it was directed by a director friend of mine who lives in Paris, and we performed it in London. And I, for me, the, well, the show was... Uh, in a way, a playful take on those solo shows that famous actresses do at the end of their career. So someone like Fiona Shaw might present an evening with Fiona Shaw and she'll present the great scenes, theatrical scenes of her career. And mine was a playful take on that because I wasn't a famous actress and most of the scenes that I presented I had never played. Um, <laughs> so it was They a were spoofing it. <laughs> they were spoofing, yeah. yeah. And... Um, so it was a playful take on that, and um, it was also, in a way, a response to, I suppose, contemporary, confessional, reveal-all climate. This sense of, I don't know, with a plethora of autobiographies or wearing your this heart show, on your for sleeve. Instance. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, exactly. Yes. I've come full circle. But um, but this notion that our authentic true self is is in this place where we reveal our our our, our deepest secrets and and the show it was a response and a reaction to that in a way because what I was trying to do in the show was say I suppose in the moment where I was presenting a scene for example from Romeo and, and Juliet um, so Shakespeare, so this this notion that it was in that moment where the audience would see my my most true, vulnerable, exposed self. It was mediated by the fiction of of Shakespeare, and in the banter and the chat that I would have with the audience in between, which was supposedly me as my real self. That in a way, those moments were were the moments where I was at my most fake or insincere. They were the moments that were most played. I, I guess. So an example of this at the beginning 
of the show, I made a presentation to the audience. I just come out as myself and say, hello, thank you for coming. My name's Sinead Rush and I'd love to get your feedback about the show at the end, etc., etc. And I go off and ostensibly the show begins. And when I come back out, I repeat the same speech. Hello, my name's Sinead Rush. Um, thank you for coming, etc., etc. And this notion that, that that person that presents themselves is, 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 is artificial. It's an artifice. It's played as much as as the Romeo or the Juliet. And um, so I was really playing on, on artifice and sincerity and what is, what is the sincere and trying to um, yes. send that on, on its head a little bit. Um, but I had a terrible time <laughs> doing that show <laughs> for, for many different reasons. Um, but, um, but one of the main reasons was in the theatre that I was playing, there were, there were two big shows happening in that theatre at the same time as my show, and mine was definitely the small show happening at that time. So there was a sense of the the powers that be in the theatre really having invested their marketing um, time in these other bigger shows that um, that they felt were going to be successful, and mine was the experimental small gig in the in the studio. And and what happened was in the end there was there was practically no press so in london it's very important the reviews really um shift how your audiences go so whether people show up and come to your show or not if there aren't many reviews um there aren't you don't have an audience and so i only had one reviewer come and um it was a reviewer who who completely misunderstood the show or thought the show I really was um, oh, no. doing an expose of my authentic self or something. They misunderstood the, the show, and so it was a really bad review. And, um, <laughs> and they so missed the whole point. They missed the whole point. And, um, and so that, that was the only review I had, and so I played the show for two weeks um, to practically no audience, um, to maybe five <laughs> five, five people, people oh, seven Sinead. people, nine people, um, and it was desperate. It was desperate. I felt, yeah, I felt very. I mean, I felt, I felt ashamed. I felt this is a real fail. This show is a real failure. And I suppose what made that very difficult was is that it was the most. It was the first time I had made two shows prior to this, but this this show was a show where I really felt I had found something unique and original and where I felt I'd really pushed the boundaries and and I was very excited about doing it I, I and the process was exhilarating I was working with Sarah Ishmuller an old friend and it was exhilarating and I really felt I was at, in a kind of creative high and then to have this experience whereby it felt that um it was misunderstood or and no one came no one was interested in it um it was. It, it really knocked me for six. I can imagine it's crushing, <laughs> just crushing. And I, one of the things I can imagine would be just feeling like, was I wrong? Uh, yes. Was my sense that this was really something so off? How could I be so off? Yes. It would shake your confidence, I can imagine. That's right. And um, for me, it's very hard even now to to separate, I guess, the experience of the context and okay, there weren't reviews, so there weren't audience, et cetera, et cetera, from actually the show. And actually, even now, I, I question whether the show, maybe the show was just completely flawed or if there was something, yeah, that there was there was something fundamentally not good about the show. And it's very hard to separate out those experiences um, and to know where the responsibility lies, where my responsibility lies in all of that. So it really, it did not my creative confidence for six because because I felt I'd really taken a leap and um, 
in the end it felt it felt like I fell flat on my face so that had it had repercussions for for really several years afterwards of how I came to my work and how I came to experimenting or taking risks and that it 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 I began to really second guess everything I was doing where in which became a kind of very negative cycle where I I was constantly looking over my shoulder to and second guessing um, yes, my decisions. I can imagine that. I want to before we get to the kind of legacy of it. I want to just stay still with the experience of it because I can imagine as I'm listening to you and hearing about the concept of the show. What strikes me as a listener is that it's quite intellectual. I mean, you have to yes. be able to not just be coming to the theater to watch a nice story unfold, mm-hmm. but you have to be able to be getting that you are questioning the very form of theater itself. That's right. And you're you're counting on a, a smart audience, <laughs> an informed audience. The thing that you were questioning, which is this idea of what is the most sincere? Is mm-hmm. it when you're confessional or is it actually when you're performing someone a, th- a very standard piece? Mm. You were questioning something that's so deeply embedded in the cur- contemporary culture right now, which mm. is this memoir oriented confessional world that we're in yes it feels to me almost as if we are so embedded in that culture could your listener get it could they see outside of what they are swimming in Mm. Mm. that seems to be a risk you know that you are questioning at a at a level that are other people there (laughs) is it almost too creative I don't know. I mean, I think there's a trap in that way of thinking because, in a way, in, in a way, it's too easy to always feel that um, the, oh, the audience didn't get it or the audience aren't sophisticated enough for my work. And I, I think that can be a trap. And I, and I, I'm a great believer in that audiences are intelligent and and people come if people come to shows with an with an open mind, they can understand a lot. I actually don't really feel that people need to be initiated or super sophisticated. That they, there's still a level on which that show should work. And for them to have a, an experience of it, I, I believe that, and I believe that it's my failing if 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 they can't have that. So that became a question for me: was it was it too complicated? Was it was it a show that was too complicated? Um, I don't know. I, I think it was actually very entertaining in many ways, but um, but it became it became a very scary show to play, as opposed to my initial experience of it was it was really exciting to play because I felt I was really playing with the audience's nerve in a way. Mm. And there's this one moment in the show where I set it up where uh, we would oh, we would bring the house lights up and the, the lights would go up on stage and I would stand and, and look at the audience and, and see what would happen. And I would just look at them one by one, which in this case was very difficult <laughs> because there weren't so many of them, um, and just see what would happen, whether they would hold my gaze, whether some people would say anything. And um, and actually, even though that show was... Um, I felt so exposed by the end because it felt that it wasn't working, but, but in that moment, always the audience came with me, always People looked back. People rarely dropped their gaze. People really looked back. Occasionally people said something. Sometimes people really laughed. I laughed with them. And I became, yeah, I became more confident about prolonging that moment, even if there were very few people that we could hold that moment of. We're just going to stand here and look at each other and... um, and see what that's like. Um, I mean, I'm sure that sounds very pretentious, <laughs> just hearing it like that. But it was a powerful moment. It was a moment where I was able to regain something or just try and inhabit that moment, even though I felt terribly exposed. And um, and it's a thing about theatre is that th- these things all kind of turn on a dime, that um, the same kind of show with a packed house and 
and the, uh, this sense of, oh, it's had good reviews or a few important people have endorsed it. Um, with a kind of packed house coming with that kind of attitude, um, it, it could have been thrilling and exciting and a very different kind of experience and it wasn't it was the opposite very few people very quiet the audience feels really exposed then if there aren't many people in the audience and and the thing of a show is that you, you if you feel if no one is watching your show no matter how good your show is if no one is there watching it it feels that it's a non-show you know right <laughs> right because it's it's a it's a it's live and it's for an audience Yes, I can. It's like if a tree falls and no one's listening, you know, <laughs> is there any sound? That's right. So I can imagine there you are two weeks of performing to, you know, five to nine people. Did you <laughs> feel, I mean, just, you know, I could just feel my whole body feels the discomfort of it. Did you feel that it was a moment where you had to call on your discipline as an actor to give your all to those few people to really not blow it off, to not just pff, disinvest, but to summon it up somehow and really do it anyway. Yes. Well, I remember traveling on the underground in London with Sarah and she could only say, if she, she had a very small baby at the time and she could only stay for the first four performances and then she left. So she wasn't even watching the last performances. But I remember a journey to the theater with her on the underground and she said to me, if there are two people in the audience, you play for them with all your might and give them everything you've got because for those two people it will really matter and that really hit me and i and that's what i did it seems to me then from both that and that moment you're describing of looking them in the eye that there was a victory in, in it for you by the end do, do you feel that i mean is, is that part of the legacy of it for you now i i think from a pure performance point of view of i can do this i can carry on i can be I can do this show in this environment and I can look at the audience. Yes, I suppose there was, but the overwhelming legacy of that show overall is, is one of pain and, uh, and sadness. You know? Yes, yes. <laughs> this is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne, and this is Safe Space. I'm talking to Sinead Rush about performance anxiety and the fear of failure. So I want to stay a little bit more with that legacy of sadness. and w Tell me more about that. Well, I kind of feel I feel a couple of different things. I I feel um, uh, there was a kind of element of really bad luck, <laughs> yeah, um, and that it could have turned a different way. And if if it had, in a way, making my subsequent shows would have been easier. In that, um, yes, success brings um, the possibility of making more work. And and if if a show is not successful objectively and that it has sold out audiences and good reviews it's very difficult to get funding for the next show and and so i felt that i've i'm still in a place in these last years of really kind of fighting for um yeah for the opportunity to carry on so i guess I guess what's interesting about this, even talking about this in this show, is that often people talk about failure in the from a position of success <laughs> where yes. they are now, and and that uh, actually for me it's things are still open. I'm still trying. I'm st you know I still have to carve out an opportunity for my for my next show. It's not it's easier. Certainly I've I've got to a place where it's easier, but it's still not very easy. So that's a legacy that that feels difficult. Shame. Um, 
And also, the, the, I suppose, for, for me, there's a sense of I feel like I actually do have a body of work behind me. I feel like I did something, certainly in that solo show and the, the sh- two shows I made before that, where I feel actually I have a body of work where I have explored something and gone on a journey, but that it's not so visible. It's, it, there's, there's a sense, actually, that if it's not really seen, there's a sense of it was never done. And that's very painful as an artist if you feel that actually you've had these key creative moments where you've done something very specific and um, and you've learnt something potent and I don't know that you've it's really shifted your worldview or how you come at your art or how you work. Um, it's very hard if there's a sense of actually it's as if it doesn't exist because no one's really seen it, and that really that pains me because I I, I feel. I feel, in, on the one hand, that I actually have a body of experience as an artist, but I don't have the the kind of public track record of a of a, an experienced artist, and that's that's very painful. Yeah. Um, and also, f- if you're trying to get funding or get a theater to produce your next show, it's hard to feel it legitimate yeah. in, in their eyes in the same way. You know that's the legitimacy right. because you know how powerful it's been. That's right. But if it doesn't have that validation mm. externally. That's right. And it gets very complicated then if if that external validation, if actually um, you're looking for that external validation when you're for yourself, when you're in the rehearsal room making your next show. That's what became very difficult for me is that actually I was really bringing that into the rehearsal room so that I was um, second guessing any idea I had um, as if um, already in advance, when I didn't know, I couldn't. It was very hard for me to inhabit that place of, which is necessary, that place of not knowing. I don't quite know where this is going, but I can trust my instincts or be intuitive about it. And and that became, um, in a way, that was the biggest legacy of it, where I became fearful and... and, um, held back about just diving into the to the next project because I was constantly criticizing myself. I just want to ask you a little bit about how you have it sounds like you're in process coming out of that but what has helped you to move away from that fear or from that need for external validation? Um, the support of friends, partner, family um, that too I mean in my solo show my partner came every night and was there and that was massive. My partner's mother came quite a lot, and that too was very important. Um, a kind of other people carrying me a little bit, and still saying you should carry on. Um, and also, I find I've been focusing. Um, I've read the Eugene Gendlin book on focusing. I find that really useful. Can you tell me a little bit about how? Well, focusing is um, is somewhere between therapy and meditation, but the joy of it is that you do it with someone else, and that you um, and that you're working with your felt sense. So you're working with what you're experiencing. So if I've got the goosebumps, for example, that's your body telling you something. Um, and focusing really, I guess, helped me tap into this notion of the felt sense that it's it's something that's happening right now that I that I can get information from it, and that. I suppose that I'm not this I'm more than just one experience that I don't have to be overwhelmed by anxiety that anxiety is only one part of my whole experience and that I'm not just just anxiety so I think it's helped me in that way.
This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne. This is Safe Space. And my guest tonight is Sinead Rush talking about performance anxiety and the fear of failure. Sinead, if people want to learn more about your work or contact you, how can they be in touch with you? They can look at my website, which is www.sineadrush.co.uk. That's S-I-N-E-A-D-R-U-S-H-E, www.sineadrush.co.uk. Wonderful. And your theater, your company, is Out of Ink, and that's I-N-C. That's right. And do you have a website for your company? Yes, it's www.outofink.co.uk. Thank you so much for being my guest. My thanks tonight to Jen Hodgson for mixing the sound and, and Maurice Lennon for the music. If you have a request or a suggestion for a future show, please email me at drannwmpg at gmail.com. That's dr.annewmpg at gmail.com. Coming up next will be Allison with Money Talks.